right now there's no there's no external incentive for like CNN or the MSNBCs of the world to host like a good debate that's going to bring like a civil conversation that will actually benefit like the citizens. For them, it's all about ratings. It's all about money. It's all about clicks. It's all about like. Uh, oh, we have our list of people that we're going to give all the time to and elevate, and that's Kamala and Biden and Pete and Amy, and we have these other people that Bernie and Yang who we're going to shaft, and like, but it really is like it's the ratings and the clicks, and that's what, like. Nice to meet you. Thanks for uh, coming on my show. You as well, Zane. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So um, just for background, so you were the host of the Zach and Matt show, which is now the Matt Skidmore show. And then you've also collaborated to now be doing the Paget and Matt show. Um, so with all that, I, I'm, is this like your full-time job? I imagine this is all like really time-consuming. Yeah, it's actually not my full-time job, but I would say it's like my full-time second job. As okay. in, uh, I actually, before getting into the Yang campaign, before even starting a YouTube channel, I had a small business selling products online. And uh, I kind of took a break from it uh, when I was dealing with the Yang campaign and super involved with that. But after the campaign ended, I was like, okay, I got to get back into this. and Because that is really like my uh, foundation career-wise. Like, uh, that's what pays the bills and keeps the lights on so okay that, that makes yeah. sense you you said it uh you, you sell products or what is it exactly all sorts of stuff like just household products online like uh mostly on amazon.com okay i feel you yeah um so with uh the zach and matt show i know initially the first few videos you guys did were like history based and then it geared into talking about 2020 candidates and then it wound up getting uh, specifically into being like a Yang campaign channel. So what were, um, like, what's your background? Like, why did you and Zach decide to kind of make this history slash political based channel? Were you guys just especially interested in the, uh, presidential campaign that was coming up? Yeah, it was definitely that we, uh, we're both kind of like, we'd consider ourselves like political junkies, like political enthusiasts, like, um, just, uh, Policy aside and all the crap that goes on in politics aside, it is kind of interesting to watch and observe, like just as an outsider trying to not be emotional about what's going on. Uh, so that was kind of the angle we were coming at it from. Like uh, we knew that the Democratic primary was coming up in the 2020 race and it was going to be cra a crazy two years. And uh, we were like, hey, this would be the perfect time to, you know, we're both really into politics and we think we have some interesting uh, stuff to say on the topic so we thought like hey let's just make a channel and we were like our goal was basically just to cover the 2020 democratic primary from start to finish i don't think uh at least myself i never had any clue that uh it was going to turn into the andrew yang zone <laughs> yeah yeah no i i was um i was like first just going through the uh early parts of your channel just to like look at like how it started and i had noticed that it was it was like a bit more broad at first and then it just took a sharp turn so when you guys were um it sounds like just researching all of the candidates you were just originally planning on doing a journey through all of them and then you guys just thought like oh this one guy in particular is really catching our interest it's kind of so 
Zach, he actually, he's a big Joe Rogan guy. So he watches like every episode. So he heard, he listened to Andrew Yang on Joe Rogan um, the day it came out. And he said that he was Yang Yang within five minutes because hmm. Zach had been waiting for someone to run on universal basic income. Like that was his thing. And so right when Andrew Yang came out, first ever presidential candidate to run on UBI, Zach was like, this is my guy. Um, and that was like a month before we started the YouTube channel. I still hadn't heard of Andrew really at the time, but my first exposure to him was actually when me and Zach were thinking of video ideas, like, hey, um, we were gonna do this video called like, who, which Democrat has the best chance to beat Donald Trump, like ranking them one to five. And Zach's like, oh, that's Andrew Yang. And I'm like, who, what, Yeah. huh? Like, stop Zach. <laughs> I start like making fun of him and stuff. Like that guy's polling at 0.2%, blah, 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 blah. But um, we did this video called Who Are the 2020 Democratic Candidates? And so we went through like 12, 13, 14, 15 of them. There were so many. And uh, at the end, we were like, hey, which candidate do you guys want us to do like a more full in-depth video on? And uh, we got like 10, 15 comments, every single one of them. Andrew Yang, Yang Yang, Yang 2020, Yang. <laughs> and yeah. I think for me, like myself, knowing that Zach was really into this Andrew Yang guy and uh, – like just seeing the they're like for me thinking that he was like some 0.2 percent nobody so suddenly i'm making a youtube video and i we get like no views we make this one video that has andrew yang in it for one minute out of a 12 minute video and suddenly it's like yang yang and you just see like whoa maybe there is something going on here but for me personally first time that like i really heard andrew yang speak and i was like okay this guy's different there's something about this guy it was probably end of may where he was doing an interview with somebody and they were just asking him pretty like, like good questions about like policy and stuff like that. And I was impressed by the fact that Andrew was able to answer every question without invoking Donald Trump, which just seemed like a such stark difference from all the other candidates in the race. Cause even Bernie, who's, you know, relatively good on the issues and has good policy goals and cares about the people, even him, like every single answer, he still would have to invoke Donald Trump and me just being from this situation where literally Trump's already been president for like two and a half, three years. He's in the news every day. We already know how terrible he is. We already know everybody hates him. This is a democratic primary. I just want to hear about like who has the best policies. I don't want to hear about how terrible Donald Trump is because this isn't like the who can say Donald Trump is worse competition. This is like who has the best policies competition. So I think that like Andrew just stuck out to me like pretty instantly from that point forward. And I, 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 I honestly don't remember when I became like Yang Gang because I think it happened very, very quickly. Like I probably went down the rabbit hole and was like, oh my God, everything this guy makes sense, says makes sense. He actually had a way to pay for his UBI plan, which was just like, you know, people, a lot of people love Bernie's Medicare for all. At the end of the day, he doesn't really have a solid way to pay for it. And me coming from the perspective, like I do it, I'm like a little more fiscally conservative and I care about that kind of thing and like how to pay for stuff and how it's going to be funded. It was like a big thing that Andrew actually had a real way to pay for his program and he was able to explain it all and how it all would make sense. And yeah, it, it happened pretty quick uh, that I became Yang Gang and Zach, he was already Yang Gang. So yeah, no, that, that, uh, that all makes sense for me. Um, I'm, I'm 24. So I was about 19 during the 2015 uh, Bernie Sanders campaign, which just like a lot of millennials, I was just really taken with at the time immediately. And it was for a lot of the reasons that I, I like Andrew so much now is that when he was speaking, he just didn't really remind me of anybody else. I thought that Bernie's running on just 
very common sense things like legalizing marijuana, um, giving people a living wage, saying that healthcare is a human right. I, at that time, had never really heard anyone speak that way. Um, so I was taken with it immediately. I, I had always really liked Obama as a person, but when I was in high school, um, I admittedly did not really understand that much about like his policies and stuff like that. So when somebody like Bernie came around, I was like, wow, this guy's really authentic. And then um, similar to your friend Zach, um, I had listened to Andrew Yang on the Joe Rogan program, and I didn't even know who he was. I clicked on it by accident because I saw the name, and for some reason I thought, I think I'm supposed to know about that guy. Maybe I should listen to this one. It turns out I was completely wrong, and I was like, oh, this dude's running for president. I definitely did not know who this was. And um, I just had it on casually in the background at work and the more he talked i was like who the fuck is this guy <laughs> like every like like it was just all um and not that long before that i had heard um the celebrity chef eddie wong had come on the same show and he had talked about ubi and at the time uh rogan was really really critical of it and was shutting down just about every argument that eddie had he was saying like oh giving people free money every month is going to make people lazy and um and eddie was just he just kept being adamant like i think everything that's wrong with society is just money and people having money problems he was like i think there's something to this so but that's really the only uh perspective he was coming at it from so when somebody like andrew came around and explained like here's how we could pay for it here's how it would actually make the economy um, thrive because when people have less existential threat and uh, their local economy is more active, things get better. Um, like you said, just hearing him explain things so thoroughly, I was um, ready to shift from supporting Bernie to Andrew because I was like, oh, this seems like the same guy, but just with bonus ideas and they're well thought out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of following up on that point too, just like the fact that Joe Rogan was having, like, he was kind of, um going he was defaulting to the um stereotypical arguments against like ubi and just kind of welfare type policies in general even though i don't really think ubi is welfare i think it's better than welfare but anyways like just like oh it'll make people lazy they'll stop working rents will go up and andrew he's able to cut through all that and like it just like you, you said it was pretty important for you it really was for me too because my first exposure to ubi was maybe two months before the joe rogan podcast like I was actually talking about with Zach because he was the UBI dude for me. And uh, he was, we were talking about it in like a group chat, me, him, and one of our other friends. And I was saying like, this is an interesting idea, but I would only want it like if we got rid of all existing welfare. Like I was coming from, from the libertarian side, like, oh, this would be great if we cut all existing welfare out. So it just kind of goes on to like, again, the, the fiscal responsibility side of me. And obviously now I'm with Yang on like, it shouldn't, uh, it should stack with social security and Medicaid and Medicare and all that. So it, it was, it was important for me to shift into this mind. Yang really helped me shift into this mindset of like, Hey, the government can do good things for the people and help the people. It just has to be done in a way that's really uh, thought out and smart and the math and data backs up. And that's what Andrew Yang's all about. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what makes things a lot easier for me to process is just when something can be made to make sense because um even with bernie there's a lot of things where i really like what he's saying but um and maybe he does have a way of explaining how he would make them work but then just within these um media appearances a lot of the time time isn't spent on explaining the mechanics of how it would work so that so that that also is why i was really taken with andrew because he spent 
a lot the majority of his time honestly explaining like the the needs of his plan and also like how it would work and i think that's um something that's really needed right now because like i i know obama was such a good or orator where like people in the country just kind of liked listening to the guy speak he made people feel very unified for the most part um, but then if you even compare one of his State of the Union address speeches to how somebody like Andrew speaks, it feels very theatrical, where I, I feel like a lot of political speeches, whether it's Obama or Trump, it's there's so much time spent about just like kind of creating this mythos in how they're speaking and kind of talking to feelings and stuff and not really a lot of time just explaining general mechanics of how things will work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think honestly that, that the fact that Andrew was so much more in depth and detailed than everybody else in a way, maybe it hurt him because there's a reason like even the Bernie Sanders of the world who are pretty solid on these issues, like don't go really that in depth. And it's cause I do think like for a majority of Americans, they don't, they don't really care like how it's going to get done. They just want like to hear like something is going to be done for me and you care about me and you're fighting for me. And, like they like the yang gang were very wonky we get into the policy details i remember on my channel i was interviewing jen perelman who was running for congress in florida against debbie wasserman schultz and i started asking her these like questions about like the wealth tax and ubi and funding and all that and she's like i forgot like you yang gang folks are like so wonky and i <laughs> at that at that moment i was like huh, I guess with the Yang gang, we are really like nerds and like wonks and Pauls. Like, I, I guess a lot of people, they just don't care about the nuance of the stuff. And to me, that's honestly a shame because I think the nuance is very important because at the end of the day, you can have the greatest idea in the world, but you have to have some sort of plan or methodology in which you're going to actually get it passed with 435 members of in the House and 100 senators and all the – like. It, things have to make sense to do something at a super large scale, like a UBI plan. And ultimately if the number, like it, so. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely with you because it, it, it's interesting how you said, um, although that is one of the greatest strengths of Andrew and it's what led to him getting all the support that he did it, it at the same time could have, simultaneously hurt him because there is something to the way that Bernie speaks like he's a really strong speaker and he gets people really invigorated um I think it's um really unfortunate that there's such a dichotomy between what somebody actually does once they get the job as a politician versus how they have to address the public to get there in the first place because everybody wants to hear something different um somebody might be really taken away with hearing the intricacies of domestic policy somebody else might just want a really passionate emotional speech that makes them feel heard and then somebody else they might want to hear uh nothing but foreign policy i know um i have a family member who really liked yang and then he wound up going to bernie um once andrew's uh campaign started to seem less and less likely towards the end of 2019 and now he's grown to be a lot more critical of andrew just because he finds that um Bernie is more uh, versed in uh, history in terms of world history and foreign policy and things like that. And he was making the argument to me like, oh, when you're the president, you don't actually make laws. And most of what your job is, is dealing with other countries. And the job of president is mostly being a um, foreign diplomat than a domestic policy person. And um, 
I understood his point, but then at the same time, it's like when you're trying to be elected president, you're trying to be elected as like the leader of the people of the free world. So it's almost like what option do you have then but to speak about what you would like to see in your own country? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely there's some people that really, really definitely care about the foreign policy issue. I mean, that was to- almost Tulsi's whole campaign, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Like she was the anti-war can. If you're against war, you were for Tulsi. Um, so it's it's definitely a issue. I, I mean, in terms of Yang, Yang, yeah, obviously everybody knows that Yang's one of his biggest weaknesses was foreign policy. He was a domestic policy guy. Um, but I feel like overall, Yang is the type of guy who would put in smart people on his team. He would hire individuals at the state department and at the defense department and advisors in the white house on his national security team that were smart and hopefully not like uh, neo liberals <laughs> like that want to start all the wars like i think andrews andrews a smart guy like he's he's knows that like okay if i if i really don't want our administration to get taken over by the uh, and, military industrial complex i probably shouldn't appoint that guy who like is a former like executive of raytheon like you know what i mean yeah no that that's what's interesting about being um a very logic-based candidate while also being kind of light on foreign policy because it's like he he was very adamant that he was um an anti-war candidate and he seems like the type of person where in any given situation he just looks at all the facts and tries to find like the best you know, avenue forward. And he also seems like somebody who likes to surround himself with people who are experts of their uh, respected field and just kind of defer to them, whether or not it's technology or economy or this or that. Um, so it it is interesting to be putting faith into the idea of like, okay, this guy, I'm, I'm basing my support on, he's going to surround himself with the right people. Because I, I understand that a lot of people would want to hear more specifics than that. Um, but then at the same time, it's I was always taken away so much with the domestic policy ideas that I thought, like, oh, how would he not be level-headed in this regard as well? Yeah, that, yeah. and I, I, agree, I agree completely. Like, And that was actually one of the big uh, selling points on Andrew for me. It's like I knew that even on issues that I agree, disagreed with him on, like, so, for example, I'm somebody who would consider myself pro-life. And uh, I know it's, like, a super complicated issue, not simple at all, no matter which side you're on. But even though, like, at the end of the day, I would be concerned myself pro-life and Andrew would consider himself pro-choice. Like, uh, it's not a, a deal-breaker because I know Andrew's somebody who looks at situations from both sides. Like, he looks at, like, data and he, like, so I know he's not, like, basically on like an issue like abortion there's a lot of people on the left that think everybody on the right like just wants to control women's bodies and like they turn it into like a like a men are evil thing (laughs) and then on the left or on the right they turn it into like everybody on the left who's getting abortions is like murdering babies like left and right and they don't care and have like no remorse and it's like neither of the situations are true so andrew's just somebody who would cut through i think the partisan nonsense and actually propose policies that you know, like UBI, which is a very pro-life policy, like um, trying to make sure unarmed black people aren't killed by the police. And there's justice in that when it in the when it does happen, unfortunately, like that's pro-life to me. Like, uh, so I, I don't know. Going back on UBI, though, 
here's the thing about Andrew and UBI. I always felt like if you sat Andrew down in front of anybody for 30 minutes, he could explain UBI to them and they would be on board. That's all you need 30 minutes. But the problem is how many people are willing to listen to somebody <laughs> for 30 minutes yeah. talk about politics. And that's, I guess, you know, you talk about Obama and Bernie, like Bernie can give a really like one minute speech on Medicare for all and really fire you up and be like, yeah, healthcare is a human right. All these pharmaceutical companies are screwing us over. Yeah. Like Andrew, uh, he, but I'm hoping by 2024, whatever it is that he runs again, that he really has these, a way to describe his policies that with just this almost, I, it sounds so difficult getting the same level of detail and nuance and, uh, intellectual ideas into like a one minute soundbite that you can just quickly say on a debate stage or on an interview. Yeah. And he, he needs the right memeology. Like what is a meme, but compressing a really complex idea into a single image or line, you know, sometimes I think like, Oh, he's literally surrounded by people like Dave Chappelle and Donald Glover. Like he needs to like tap these people to help him condense these ideas into like attractive sounding things that people can understand or laugh at or whatever. Um, yeah, I see like Bernie got me really, really riled up back in 2015 and 16. And I, I still, I love the guy. Like he was definitely my, my second choice. I, I think where I started to get really critical is when I, when I noticed, um, like you said earlier, Andrew's ability to kind of explain his plans without even saying Donald Trump's name, I realized, oh, there is a real power to explaining a positive solution for the future without just expressing what's currently, not even really what's wrong with right now, because he would explain what's currently wrong, but without, you know, making an enemy into the sentence, because I think it is a really easy unifying tactic to create a common enemy that people can kind of point a finger towards um but with uh bernie i know like i remember there was a debate where they asked him how would you pay for health care and i was so glad that they asked him on that because i really wanted to know because i am really interested in medicare for all and i remember like the first sentence he had said was something along the lines of how is it that we live in a country where the top whatever percent you know and he he just kind of started going on his Talking points, Great, yeah. Greatest hit line about how we live in a country that's the way that it shouldn't currently be in this and that. And I, I realized, like, uh, what's happening right now for viewers at home is that people who already agree with him are getting really excited. And people who are potentially on the fence about him, they're tuning out because where they wanted to hear a legitimate explanation to the question he was asked, they might be thinking like, oh, he's just now going to go into talking about greed and why people are evil and this and that, which isn't necessarily untrue. There is a lot of like really evil greed within like pharmaceutical companies and the medical industry. But it's like for the people who are on the fence trying to adopt a new idea from someone, they want to hear from you. How is this going to work and how is it going to positively affect me more so than just being reminded on what's currently fucked up? Yeah. Yeah. And that's another, uh, you make a good point in terms of politicians. They have this habit of crafting their messaging toward in a way that I feel like only speaks to people that already support them. And I think Andrew's very good at making sure his message appeals to almost everybody. And I think that's also part of the reason why, you, you know, people, socialists call Andrew a libertarian Trojan horse. The conservatives call Andrew Yang a socialist. The moderate Dems call Andrew Yang a lefty. The lefties call Andrew Yang a neo-lib. Like, there's no winning. And it's at the end of the day, it's truly because his 
his message actually does appeal to everyone. Uh, Andrew, in my opinion, was smart enough to realize like, hey, if I invoke Donald Trump in every single answer about every single question, like I can easily talk about how terrible Donald Trump is. I mean, that's why Yang ran. He said he ran because Donald Trump was so awful and nobody else was going to do anything about the problems that got him elected. But if, if Andrew had suddenly started inserting Donald Trump in every answer, he's going to turn off all the independents and all even the Republicans uh, that maybe would have considered supporting him. I know in the Yang gang now there's some controversy over like, oh, but we need to be focusing on appealing to the Democrats. This is the Democratic Party. So like, why are we like kowtowing the Republicans and independents? But I, I, in my opinion, I don't think Andrew's like kowtowing to anyone. I think that he really just does actually have a universal message that can appeal yeah. to anyone. Yeah, that's what's really interesting about being universally appealing. If people happen to not, there's the people who are you're winning over and they're for it. And then there's the group of people who you're not winning over. And because you're universally appealing, you're also universally dislikable to those people you haven't won over because every faction finds a way to think that you represent the opposite of what you are. But it's really interesting in a universally appealing case. Um, yeah, like, you, you just said that um, you think that he could sit down in front of somebody for 30 minutes and pretty much convince anybody, oh, this is a good idea. Um, what, what I found really interesting is every single time online I found a comment, uh, whether it was on YouTube or Twitter, of somebody saying that they disagreed with him on something. They would always say, I disagree with this specifically, and then they would go on to say how they still respect and like him and would possibly vote for him. Um, and I, in other words, I found it, really funny to see people say like oh I'm, I'm not so sure about this but i still really like the guy and he seems smart every single time i see somebody express like just other disdain and hate for him they say something then that is either completely like factually inaccurate or it's just not based in that strong of an argument and i know like recently like there's just been time and time again where there's just conspiracy theories alleged against him like right now he's moving to georgia to can't help campaign for candidates and there's all these news outlets saying like oh he's going there to sneak a vote in for the state of georgia which would be <laughs> so much effort to cast one vote like that's such a crazy alleged story that doesn't make yeah. any sense yeah yeah i mean it, yeah it is interesting like uh i've i've it, it's in my opinion and i'm biased because i'm like a yang shill but i like i very rarely ever hear like legit like arguments against Andrew Yang and the stuff that he's doing and the policies supporting that he's supporting. Like it's always just kind of like, at least if you remember on the campaign, there was never po stories coming out, like saying like, Oh, Andrew Yang's wrong about like, you know, publicly funding elections. The articles were all like, Oh, Andrew Yang back like five years ago, fired some woman at this company. And we're, she says it was cause she got married or got pregnant or something. Or like there was the Andrew Yang, he makes his uh, staff do like karaoke, like, Oh God. Like, it was, yeah, no, it was always they stupid were, stuff. They always had to like reach to the furthest corner they could to find something instead of just actually having an argument against. <laughs> I, I because like I know that he was the one uh, candidate that Donald Trump literally has never once tweeted the name of or spoken out loud in real life, and like it's really crazy when you think about that. Still I, hasn't. I know there's a verified side account called like Trump's War Room or something, and yeah, they 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 mentioned 
Andrew once saying like, oh, the I think it was during the DNC convention and they were just trying to hit every single speaker. And yeah. they said like, oh, like crazy radical socialist like Andrew Yang says that we need to all <laughs> stop eating meat to fix climate yeah. change, yep. which wasn't even remotely one of his policies. I, I remember when he had a CNN uh, climate change town hall, he said something along the lines of great news scientists say that if a hundred percent of us all go vegan right now things would be solved but he was saying that like in jest in a way to suggest that would never happen so clearly we need a better plan and then, <laughs> and then ironically like all these people started running these stories saying this guy thinks the way to fix climate change is to get the whole country vegan and it's like yeah. he's saying the exact opposite so yeah it, and even, even joe rogan like and it's crazy how misinformation he, he and fake yeah. news spreads because even i remember even joe rogan was like i can't believe like andrew yang wants to ban meat like that's insane <laughs> like, yeah, come I, on, I, guys. Th I think it was like the same week too there was like a photo op of him like at like a, a fry like, like a fr have you ever that's what I, well, that's what i was about to bring up has anybody ever seen andrew yang with like a turkey leg before that man ain't banning meat that man <laughs> loves meat <laughs> god damn um so, so back to, to you a little bit. So when you first started running your, your channel, I know you and Zach were going around like talking to like college kids and asking them their various opinions on things like marijuana and universal uh, income. Was that difficult for you at first? Because you seem like a, a natural speaker. Was that really awkward for you? Oh, yeah, that was really difficult. I'm actually I'm a I'm a naturally very introverted guy. Um, so. The, the first time that me and Zach ever went to a college campus, and for those who don't know, if you're watching, we, we used to do these interviews where we'd go, we did one, it was cool, we asked actually people what they thought of UBI, and it was, this is back in June 2019, it was surprising the number of people be like, UBI, Andrew Yang? Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> but anyways, I the first time we ever did it, uh, dude, uh, me and Zach were both sitting on this park bench, and we sat there for 30 minutes arguing with each other over who was going to be the first person to ask somebody a question like if they want to be interviewed when they walk by yeah and like 20 people walk by and we didn't ask a single person so that was us we're both me and zach are both really introverted i think zach I'm, i feel like i'm pretty introverted i think zach's even more introverted than me so <laughs> yeah i i can completely relate to that uh for just, just for context i i live in arizona i went to film school out here like my ultimate dream would be to directing movies uh maybe creating a cartoon but i i just um i have a lot of different interests so naturally i've wound up doing things from podcasts to music videos to video essays or whatever and um i got really taken with this campaign um so i was always one of those people who's really vocal trying to explain to people the idea of uh, UBI because I, I figured, hey, if uh, Medicare for All is a really mainstream idea right now, this this should too. Um, but when I when I started doing this show, yeah, like putting a camera on myself and recording it and stuff, it uh, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> so I, I can relate to that Weird, completely. Yeah. Where where you and your friend because there were times in in film school where we would have to film something and like maybe you have to just be in front of the camera to because you know you're light staffed and you just think like fuck i'm i'm doing my job because i don't want to be <laughs> doing that so uh you, you um like even to this day uh, i'm i'm at this point like i'm pretty comfortable like being on camera and stuff but even to this day like i on on tuesday i'm going to be interviewing andrew uh, with Paget on our Paget and Matt show, and I'm gonna be like a nervous wreck, <laughs> like two minutes before that thing, like freaking out. <laughs> now that's Andrew, but like I mean, just even like you know, uh, when I when I went up to Philly a few weeks ago, like just doing a live stream on that, like uh, 
you know, it feels like a little shy, you know, just because you're putting yourself out there. I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you um, the way I found your channel initially is that like I can really deep dive a subject that I'm newly interested in. So when I became interested in uh, his campaign, naturally, I just went to YouTube and just tried to find a lot of different things to watch to kind of better form my opinion and become informed. And I just kept noticing that every single time I watched a clip of this guy speaking, it was from this random channel called the Zach and Matt show with your guys's little thumbnail. And I'm like, well, clearly this is not an official campaign channel, but they seem to have re-uploaded every single thing that this guy has ever spoken at. So um, how, yeah. like, I don't even know how to make a question out of that, but it's just, it like, well, good job to you guys, I guess, just because that, that seems like it would have taken a lot of dedication to like track down all these different appearances and get them up in high quality pretty immediately yeah yeah that was a uh, that was me <laughs> zach zach when we when and that's time in the channel because zach actually hasn't really been part of the channel since last december just because uh like college and the fact that uh he kind of drifted more towards trump <laughs> oh, okay but, um uh zach always would do like our Fan, like our fancy like meme videos like we would do like andrew like avengers like we would put donald trump as uh the fuck is the villain called in avengers thanos yeah thanos and trump uh, yang would be like captain america zach would always do our cool stuff i did like the more boring stuff like oh andrew was on cnn let me make sure we upload it but for to be honest the reason that we did that is because basically we noticed um a we noticed that there was uh a I don't, I'm trying to think of the right word to use. A discrepancy in the market, uh, a, uh, a lag in the market. Like, basically, there was a ton of fucking people that wanted to see every single thing that Andrew Yang had to say, but there was a supply problem where not everything that he was saying was getting put on the internet. Like, he'd be on interviewed on, like, MSNBC or CNN, like, major news networks in the middle of a presidential campaign, and those channels, they aren't uploading it to their their own youtube channels like because they're like they don't give a fuck about yang like uh so i made a goal to try to get every single thing that yang did every single thing he <laughs> did on youtube because it needs to be out there because andrew's fucking awesome everybody when they listen to him they go okay this guy's awesome piggybacking kind of what you said earlier about how uh you know, you see all these people, like, even when they disagree with Andrew, like, they're going like, oh, fuck that guy. They'll be like, oh, I disagree with on this, but Andrew's still cool. Like, even on my YouTube channel this day, and especially since I still upload a lot of Yang's appearances, and a lot of the times he's, like, shilling for Biden, I'll still get a lot of people commenting. They'll be like, yeah, I'm voting for Trump, but I still like Andrew. They'll be like, what happened to Andrew? He used to be so cool. I'm voting for Trump now. Basically, like, these people that, like, they, I don't know, they, like, Andrew was able to appeal to people that traditionally did not like Democrats. They did not like Andrew Yang. Uh, like they wouldn't have liked somebody with a D next to their name. So this is a, it's real interesting. Yeah. People, I, um, they, they, when they listen to him speak, they like what he has to say, even if they don't always agree. Well, to what you said about there being like a, uh, like, you know, he would make appearances and then it wouldn't even be on YouTube by that major news network. Like that just seems like a glaring, error in not just our, our media system but also our political system because i like when i started thinking about it like when i think it was the rachel maddow moderated presidential debate where i really realized how similar it is to like 
the Hunger Games District 13 talk show where it like comes sweeping in and there's this like nation state music and it's like a big pageant show. And what I mean by that is I remember there was this moment where like Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd came back from commercial and they had like banter between each other as if it was the fucking Oscars and there were these patriotic like trumpets playing in the background and everybody and you know there's this huge theater audience you know laughing at all the zingers that the different candidates are throwing at each other and I just remember thinking like this is supposed to be a debate of ideas and function of of government you know and if you think of it on like the boring city planning version of government where it's just a room of people coming up with plans of what we're gonna do like that's really what it is at the higher level too so having it um presented in this really glitzy manner to me just seems inefficient to uh, yeah the goal of getting people ideas and that's where i thought like oh like these debates should be made by c-span and just a boring room with no audience and it's just <laughs> you know just as plain and simple as it could be yeah. so the idea that also somebody could be um campaigning and they don't have an official centralized place of just hey here's everything i've ever said that that seems just not good like i understand there's copyright law issues in some way and that's why it forces it to your like for lack of better words like black market <laughs> operation where you're you know <laughs> taking these news clips and re-uploading them but it seems like just the combination of uh journalism and political systems kind of both failing in that regard where it, it makes oh yeah it, it makes I it mean, a real burden on people who are trying to learn the fact of the matter is it's what's the what's the andrew always i love i love andrew i really love him because he just talks about things in ways that make sense and here's another example he always talks about things in terms of incentives and internalities and externalities right now there's no there's no external incentive for like cnn or the msnbc's of the world to host like a good debate that's going to bring like a civil conversation that will actually benefit like the citizens for them it's all about ratings it's all about money it's all about clicks it's all about like uh oh we have our list of people that we're going to give all the time to and elevate and that's kamala and biden and pete and amy and we have these other people that bernie and yang who we're going to shaft and like but it really is like it's the ratings and the clicks and that's what, like i i know i remember um uh, CNN, CNN did before one of their debates, I think like last, I forget which they hosted a bunch, but one of their debates last fall, they had like an article. It was like five, like the day before the debate, it was like five things to watch for at the debate. And it's like, basically this article just lays out like almost like a storyline, like a, a fiction book, like a WWE, like a pre-script manual before WrestleMania of like all the ongoing feuds and maybe we'll Booker and Beto and Pete go at it at gun control and like blah, 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 blah. And then of course the debate comes around and what exactly happens? Every single thing that that CNN article yeah. laid out uh, came true because they're, they're, they're setting these things up in a way to where they want there to be like a, a line like a zinger and yeah. everybody laughs and even no, though like you know it doesn't help anyone in the grand scheme of things like, no it's crazy like, you, you even you even see it come forward in like the the line of questioning i i remember they finished one of the debates by asking um because it was christmas time and they're like 
For our final question, would you like to um, give one of your fellow candidates a gift or ask for forgiveness for something you may have said? <laughs> and they, which is such a crazy thing to ask when you're like trying to decide who's going to have the nuclear codes. <laughs> and they, um, they asked, uh, they let Andrew respond first. And I remember he paused and just went, wow, like Owen Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> and he, the fucking, he's like, what type of question is this? <laughs> and the fucking, and the room like laughed and applauded, including the moderator, because I think even she knew like what the fuck am i asking andrew gave a good answer yeah yeah he was just like i wrote a book with all of my plans in it and like it, it goes back to the um the the 2016 debates where to be fair a moderator didn't ask this it was uh one of the people in the audience but i remember he asked uh Hillary and Trump, could you guys name something nice about each other? And in retrospect, I think what that guy was trying to do is he was just trying to like create a uniting moment. He thought, I'm going to be the guy who stands up and makes these two bring the country together right now. But, you know, she wound up saying some shit about his kids. Then he wound up saying some shit about how she's a fighter, which ultimately did him more good than her. And it was just it's one of these things where I'm like, oh, God, like I don't want politics to be theater i just want it to be like data and math and like thorough explanations of how things are going to work yeah yeah i think the, the unfortunate thing is i i don't see politics changing anytime soon the way that we want it to be in terms of it being about facts and data and policy i think it's going to continue to be a circus the question though is uh while everybody else is going along with the circus are we able to like dig in and work in the background and ignore all the noise and BS and just try to focus on the shit that matters to us, us, which is, you know, UBI and getting, in my opinion, getting like more candidates elected into Congress and on the local level, especially would be great. Like over the 2021, 2022. Um, and like, just keep fighting for all the, uh, the policies cause Nobody else is going to fight for him. So. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, part of the reason I wanted to do this conversation is because, like, I, I don't have a huge audience, but some people listen to me. And it's I, I think just getting people open to different and new ideas and different ways of thinking, it kind of slowly creates a gradual change where what people expect from uh, their powers that be kind of starts to shift. And then people just take less shit, frankly, yeah. over, over time. And uh, what, what, what you just said about um, electing local level people, I, uh, I completely agree because I have a friend who um, he really liked Yang. He likes Bernie as well. And he's um, kind of more geared towards um, not outlandish conspiracies, but he's interested in the conspiracy world of the Internet. And because of that, it's made him think I've lost all hope. I don't think people like these guys can win, which uh, I, I disagree with. But um, something I would say to him is like, hey, like don't lose hope, you know, just look more locally than nationally because, you know, the, you know, Pete Buttigieg was a fucking mayor who made it as far as he did, but I don't know what he did before being mayor. Uh, but the point is, is a lot of times people who are mayor, they start by being maybe in city council. And that comes down to just people like you and I just kind of kicking around the can and being like, Hey, who's running in our city, which, you know, yep. most people aren't doing. So it, it really does show that, uh, people have, more individual powers voters than I think they fully realize. Um, I think the last election made people, some people feel like, wow, my vote doesn't matter. And now this one kind of has had a reverse slingshot effect where people think, Oh shit, like this is really coming down to the wire. I'm glad I participated. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, uh, 
Mm, I kind of blanked my thought, but that was no, you're say, good. But... Uh, w would you like to talk about the importance of the Georgia race coming up in January? Sure. I mean, well, there's two perspectives. I can give my personal opinion on it, and then I can try to explain what I think Andrew Yang's thinking is on it. I guess I'll go with Andrew Yang's thinking first. Or actually, I'll go with my thinking first. See, me, again, coming, like I mentioned a little bit earlier on, uh, that uh, I, always, I always came from the Yang gang into Andrew Yang from a more right-leaning perspective, like a more conservative perspective, especially on economics. Like, socially, I've always been, like, legalize all the drugs, like – you know, get everybody out of prison, like this BS, uh, like we need democracy reform and all that. But like on a lot of more fiscal issues, like I do lean more the conservative side. So, um, <clears throat> for, so for me, I actually, my personal opinion, I actually would prefer that there's a red Senate, a Republican Senate as a check on Dem Democrats and a check on the house and a check on Biden. And, uh, I get it because that goes against uh, what Andrew Yang's trying to do. And I think that actually that a lot of people feel the same way as I do, at least some of the more uh, conservative-leaning Yang gang. Now, however, I'm still fully on board with what Andrew's doing in Georgia because I understand his logic behind it. And I, at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm going to do – like, I'm, I'm not – if Andrew does something like I don't like, I'm not going to get on board with it. But in this situation, it, I see Andrew's perspective and it supersedes how I personally feel about it. Because from Andrew's perspective, he's looking at it like, look, we need cash relief for the people. We need some sort of stimulus. And we know that we're not going to get it if McConnell is the majority leader. He's just he's already shown like no indications that he has any plans for even mere one-time $1,200 checks again. Like that's not even part of We're, we're running out of time to genuinely bring the country together, and it's going to be nearly impossible with Mitch McConnell saying no to everything and, and being an obstructionist, which he's, he seems like he's already suggesting he's going to be. Uh, so right. you, me, the Yang Yang, my family, everyone, we're heading to Georgia. Let's go. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to go Georgia. fight it out in Georgia until January 5th. Uh, for the two Senate races that are there. So if you don't understand why we're heading to Georgia, um, right now it's a, it's going to be 48-50 in the Senate with Mitch as the majority leader. But there are two special Senate races on January 5th that if they're very competitive, both of them, uh, and that if Dems win them both, then you're 50-50 in the Senate and then Kamala becomes the tiebreaker. Then all of a sudden, uh, Joe's ability to pass cash relief, uh, Joe's ability to uh, try to work on infrastructure, Joe's ability to get things done shoots up tremendously because you don't have Mitch McConnell carping about, uh, uh, you know, how uh, this uh, is too ambitious or this is too um, expensive or whatever, like, the the objection is going to be. I mean, heck, like, Mitch isn't motivated by principle. We saw with Obama. It's like you, he wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do – I'm going to say no, 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 and then I'll say yes to this. He just says no. So we need to give our government a chance to operate. And folks who listen to this podcast know that 
uh, you know, like Washington has problems operating. <laughs> you know, it, it's not it's not operating at a high level right now. It's uh, it's very very dysfunctional. <laughs> uh, and and so if we can give it a modicum of functionality, it could be enormous for millions of families around the country. And the lever is Georgia. So Georgia, it's going to be neck and neck. Every vote's going to count. So if we get hundreds, thousands of volunteers to head to Georgia and canvas and knock on doors very, very safely, obviously, you know, wear masks and stay away from people and do outdoor events and the, the rest of it um, and activate the folks in Georgia. It's going to be an uphill climb. I, I looked at it. There was a special election in Georgia that um, apparently most of the special elections skew conservative, at least historically. Um, but I but I think this one will be different if we execute. Like if all of the folks who wanted Joe to win uh, help in Georgia, that because the the fact is Joe's agenda is going to get stalled uh, if he can't get anything through the Senate. So celebrate Joe's victory, yes, but in practical terms, uh, this the these two Georgia races uh, are going to define whether Joe can get things done or not. Hey everybody, so um, there were some technical difficulties. My computer decided to just shut down with absolutely no warning whatsoever and perform a software update mid-call, which is really unfortunate. Um, I think the call or uh, the podcast would have only had about 10 more minutes to it anyway, so I'm really sorry that it had to end so abruptly out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, thank you for tuning in. Um, I think Matt is a really interesting guy. His show is the Matt Skidmore Show. And now he has a side show called the Paget and Matt Show. I'll put links below. And yeah, just like we were talking about at the very end, I think that if you are somebody that's disappointed with current government, a good way to go is to just pay attention to local elections when they come up because it really is local um, city council members who one day possibly become mayor. And then, you know, people like Pete Buttigieg can possibly go from mayor to president or in other cases, um, dedicated individuals like Andrew Yang who just really believe in ideas and they can get a campaign from last place to fourth place over the course of a year, which I think is really remarkable. So thank you so much to Matt for coming on my show and talking with me a little bit. And I know he is going to get to do an interview with Andrew Yang later this week so look out for that oh and a final note yes so there are special elections in georgia in january and this will lead to determining whether or not uh, joe biden will be entering the white house with a democratic senate or not uh, i personally am for the idea of him having a democratic house and senate simply because i think that it'll make it more likely to get things through like casually for people during this time in the pandemic opposed to a mitchell opposed to uh having mitch mcconnell running the senate and blocking things like cash relief for people um i wish we could have finished up that conversation with matt but it is what it is, and um, if you're interested, you know, find the Democratic Georgia candidates that you're interested in. Maybe donate a dollar, five dollars, and yeah. Okay, have a nice day, everybody.